Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Good morning. It's great to be with you today. Hey, um, some introductory comments before I start. Um, There's a table in the back, and unfortunately, um, I ran out of info cards. I was at a really big church last week and didn't realize that I had just a few info cards left. But thankfully, this is my home church, so when I get some more info cards, I'll have some for you. Um, But you can pick up this prayer card. I've got a whole bunch of these out there. So please pick up this prayer card and pray for us. And also there's a sign-up sheet back there. If you want to receive our emails, it's the best way to know what's going on with Set Free is to be getting our emails, and we send those out a couple, a couple times a month. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I want to say is thank you for supporting uh, missionaries and national leaders around the world. I know that your church does that. I know that you've got uh, some focus on uh, missions activity. Without the partnership of... of uh, of Free Methodist World Missionaries and others, we would not be able to do what we need to do. So I want to thank you. Uh, thank you for partnering. And, and also, I want to put this conversation today within the context of worship, because that's where it belongs. This is a hard conversation, but we do it within the context of worship, and we do it within the context of this global movement of God. <clears throat> you know, last night when we were sleeping, the sun rose in the east and people started to go to church or get online to worship Jesus. The sun rose in Korea and then Japan and then started moving through Asia and then it hit Europe and Africa and then it moved over to the east coast and now it's here today. There's been this this wave of worship that began last night when we were sleeping and we're, we're at the end of that wave. And, and I find that really helpful, that this conversation is not a conversation just for us today. It's a conversation that spans the whole globe, and it's from the beginning of time to the end of time. And we proclaim that Jesus sets captives free. And so we have these hard conversations within the context of worship because, um, because we center this on Jesus. Um, so this morning, we're going to look at some scripture, and I want to uh, tell you some inspiring stories and give you some challenges. And also, I'm going to invite you to give financially today, and I'm going to invite you to pray, because um, we've got some things we want to do, and we need to do it driven by prayer. And, and then we're also going to talk about love-driven justice. So, um, you know, I asked Kyle this morning, Pastor Kyle this morning, like, you've been working through the Free Methodist Way, and the last one he's going to do is the one about scripture. I've been a Christian my whole life. I was baptized when I was seven. I've been a pastor. I've been to a seminary, on and on and on. And um, I continually pick up the Bible and read things, or I listen to it, and I hear things I hadn't heard before. Now, I've read the book of Exodus thousands of times. I've heard sermons. I've watched the movies. And um, I, I'm kind of surprised that I don't know it all, but I don't. And so I'm reading Exodus, and something jumped out at me that I had never seen before. And and that's what I want to share with you this morning about the power of four women that helped to set the stage for an incredible move of God. And one of them is in Hebrew, and one of them is a little girl. And two of them 
our midwives who are just doing their work. So we're, we're going to be in, uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 1. And um, this, is, this is it in a nutshell. The story of the Exodus unfolds in two movements. The first movement is the story of the women who rescue Moses from Pharaoh's attempt to put him to death. The second movement is the story of the God who rescues the Israelites from Pharaoh's attempt to work them to death. Israel's rescuer is Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Sarah. Remarkably, Moses' rescuers are these women acting without divine command and at great risk to themselves, rich and poor, young and old, Egyptian and Hebrew, they band together to do what is right. When we think about the Exodus, we think about freedom, we think about Moses and Aaron. But you know what? There would be no Moses without five women. His mother, two Hebrew midwives, a little girl, and an Egyptian princess. Let's look at the scripture. Um, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that a baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now that's the end of chapter 1. Now in chapter 2, baby Moses is born. And his mother puts him in an ark. That's what it's called. It's a basket of reeds. But if you look in the Hebrew, it's called an ark. And she floats it on the water. Sound familiar? And she, she has her daughter, Miriam, watch the baby. And when the Pharaoh's daughter sees the baby, Miriam confronts the Pharaoh's daughter at the Nile, which is foreshadowing of what's going to happen later because later her brother Moses is going to confront the Pharaoh at the Nile. And this Egyptian princess rescues this Hebrew boy. Wow. Like, that's really cool. God can use anyone. Now, look at this. There's silence from God. God does not tell the the midwives to do things. He's completely silent. But the Hebrew midwives fear God. They know God. They know what to do. They know what's right. They know what's wrong. The powerless confront the powerful. Notice that the Pharaoh, who is the most powerful person on the planet, is not even named. It's like he's really not that significant. He's just the Pharaoh. But the lowly midwives are named. And they don't just passively resist the Pharaoh. They actively, powerfully resist the Pharaoh. They fear God more than they fear men. Uh, God is not mentioned until this section in the, you know, in the beginning part of, of Exodus. Then twice God is mentioned because of the women's faith, then God blesses them. The word Hebrew is used for the first time. 
in this passage of Scripture. And Miriam and Pharaoh's daughter in chapter 2, I already talked about that. Miriam confronts uh, the, the Pharaoh's daughter at the Nile. God uses everyone. Five women, two ordinary workers, one child, one mother, one wealthy, privileged person. There would be no Moses or Exodus without these women. And here's the question. What, does it, what difference does it make to save one child? And maybe freedom comes not by thinking, oh, man, I've got to give, you know, millions of dollars. If you want to, please come see me after the service. But if you, you know, it's like, it's not like, well, man, I want to just, I've got to give all this money or I need to change my profession and become a lawyer or a policeman. Maybe, maybe creating freedom is simply doing your job. Just do your job and do it in a way that, that brings hospitality and freedom. It's speaking the kind words. It's looking for that opportunity to encourage. It's looking for that opportunity to protect. Maybe you need to be like Miriam and confront the powerful at the Nile. Maybe you do need to do that. Or maybe you are incredibly privileged and you need to reach down and start rescuing. You need to start rescuing. Whatever, one of the things that we say in the Set Free Movement is whatever you do, do it in the direction of freedom. Are you a teacher? Teach. Are you a musician? Do music. Are you an artist? Paint. Are you a photographer? Do photography. Are you a business leader? We need business solutions. Are you a pastor? Proclaim freedom for the captives. Like whatever you do, do it in the direction of freedom. And that, that other question is, what can one person do? Because sometimes we think, oh man, 40 million slaves? Like, what can I do? Well, the answer is you can do a lot. You can do a lot. And I, and I, I want to I inspire you this morning that, um, that this is complicated and complex, but it's also simple. Uh, the midwives are simply doing their jobs. The little girl is simply doing her job. The mother is being a mother. The princess is reaching down and helping. And out of that comes this incredible move of freedom. Well, we have people like that today. This is Yvonne. Yvonne is in Kenya. And I think Yvonne has one of the most beautiful smiles on the planet. I love her smile. <clears throat> Yvonne <clears throat> was in, a, um, was in a, uh, a Bible study group with a bunch of other uh, Kenyan women. And they're getting to know each other, they're studying the word, and they're praying for one another. And they, as they're sharing their stories and getting to know each other, they realize that they have something in common, that, that they had all been victims of sexual assault. That sexual assault is a common, culturally accepted issue in Kenya. It is okay for men to do whatever they want to to women. And Yvonne and Lillian, and Lillian is a lawyer, a young, young person, but she's a lawyer, um, in Kenya, they, they said, we're reading scripture where God defends the powerless and we've experienced this problem. We need to go and do what we can to protect. So they started this organization called Thrive and they are traveling around Kenya educating girls about gender-based violence, about human trafficking. What can one person do? It's like Yvonne. Be like Yvonne. She's just had this awakening, this realization, and she got together with some other people. They started praying, they started learning, and then they started acting. 
And they're, now they're protecting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of girls all over Kenya. And it's exploding. That's one of the, that's one of the things we've been talking about in the Set Free Movement is like, how do we support these women? Because they are blowing it up. It's incredible. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. So Freedom Sunday, um, we've celebrated Freedom Sunday for 12 years. We've raised more than a million dollars, which I don't think is very much over 12 years, to be honest with you. We've helped launch 25 different freedom projects over that time. And we always choose three every year to kind of focus on and to raise money for. And one of them is Set Free Monterey Bay. And just to give you an idea, again, I'm just going to give you some illustrations of what we've been learning about. This woman right here with the jeans jacket on is Felicia. And in 2019, uh, Felicia went into the public high schools and educated 6,000 students about the dangers of human trafficking. One person. She's not a teacher. She's a financial planner. And, but every day, about every day, she's in the public high schools educating about human trafficking. Um, Natalie is from Turlock, California. And um, we had this opportunity a few years ago to do assembly after assembly after assembly at a high school. We educated about 2,000 students on that day, and Felicia came with me. So Felicia and I kind of did this tag team, educating all these students about human trafficking. And one of the things that's grown out of that whole emphasis there in Watsonville, California, Santa Cruz area, is that other people have come together and they want to create a home for survivors of human trafficking. And one of the women, and I won't point out who it is, but one of the women in this picture is a survivor of human trafficking. And they want to create a home. And they want to, they're going out on the streets. They're connecting with women involved in prostitution. They're going into the homes, into the schools. They're going into businesses. And we want to get behind this. This is really, really exciting work. Um, I was just talking about Yvonne. So uh, back to Kenya again. Um, one of the things that, um, that we were approached about this year, or, or early, last year about this time, was that Seed Livelihood Group and International Child Care Ministries wanted to launch a project because they were learning that... Um, and this is really eye-opening to me, but they were learning that girls were um, dropping out of school um, one week out of the month. And we need to keep girls in school. And then talking with ICCM, International Child Care Ministries, learning that uh, kids don't even have underwear to wear in Kenya. Like, a lot of kids just don't even have underwear to wear in Kenya. It's like, wow. So, um, so seed... And ICCM and the Set Free Movement and Free Methodist World Missions and Two Yemeni Women and Thrive, this group I just told you about, six organizations are coming together to create uh, a, a health kit for girls, uh, a menstrual health kit, so that they can stay in school. And it's, it's, a, uh, it's actually a, uh, um, you, it, it, that kit will last about two years because it's washable. So Girls are going to get two kits, and I don't know how it's all going to work. But as well as the kits, there's going to be education. So Yvonne and Lillian and the, and the women from Thrive are going to go distribute these kits, and they're going to do gender-based violence, and they're going to do education about human trafficking, and they're going to uh, communicate to these girls that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're created in the image of God. And it is not okay for you to be bought, used, abused for profit and or pleasure. 
And what's happening with your body is good. Like God created you in this way. Don't be ashamed by this. I love what this program is going to do. So they're starting in Kenya, but we want to do it in other countries as well. So this is also one of our projects. Um, last, I, I wish I had hours with you. I really do. I'm sorry that I don't have hours with you. Um, but our, our, our oldest team um, spent about eight years um, praying, learning, dialoguing, networking, serving in a, in a community in Michigan. And um, eventually they learned that that area of mission had the highest concentration of homeless youth of any other place in Michigan. Um, and most of these youth had aged out of foster care and um, they had money for housing, but they were living on the streets because there's no housing available. So they opened a home. And this home now houses six girls. They want to open another home in a couple years to, 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 to help six boys to get them off the streets. And currently they have four. They have four young women in this home. And uh, it's just an incredible story of how this team rallied an entire community around an issue and is not only providing beds for a few people, but have created a conversation in the community that's producing changes and it's producing transformational change. Uh, this is this is really really exciting. Um, one of their board members, her name is Trish. She wrote this as a teenager in the early 1980s. I was aging out of the foster care system, and there was no place like this for me. I was quite literally on my own. I was leaving the security of a foster home and entering the adult world with very few resources and little life experience. It was like entering a dark tunnel with no light at the end. I see my place as a light not at the end, but at the beginning of the tunnel. That's really cool. Um, and the thing that, that that's, uh, you know, I, I wish I could take you to meet these people and be involved in some of these conversations because there's this incredible joy because being on mission with God is awesome. And it's hard. It's stinking hard. They've got bruises on their forehead from banging them against the wall. You know, it's like, oh, man, what are we going to do about that? But there's just this incredible, incredible joy. And, and, so, and this stuff is connected to love-driven justice. So I want to talk about love-driven justice because I'm supposed to. It's the Free Methodist way, and we're in that series. So um, this, is what, this is what the bishops have, have, have produced, and I think this is brilliant. I'm going to talk about this. Love is the way we demonstrate God's heart for justice by valuing the image of God in all men, women, and children, acting with compassion toward the oppressed, resisting oppression, and stewarding creation. We devote ourselves to our founders' deep convictions around matters of injustice as they took their stand against the evils of slavery, the oppression of the poor, the marginalization of women, and the abuse of power in the church. Our heart for justice continues and expands today, fueled by God's holy love for the unborn, the vulnerable, oppressed, marginalized, and people of all races and ethnicities. The free Methodist way is not only to realize a better society, but that all may be reconciled to God and one another in ways that reflect God's just character. Now that's awesome, but it's too much. 
And I always want to simplify things. And this is how I've simplified this. If seeking justice begins with seeking the God of justice, so let me just emphasize that. Seeking justice does not begin at the door of the brothel. Seeking justice does not begin at the food bank that you've got in your church. Seeking justice does not begin with helping foster kids. Seeking justice begins with seeking the God of justice. Because the God of justice gives us direction, gives us the energy, gives us the insight, gives us the community. If seeking justice begins with seeking the God of justice, and if God is love, right? Then all we do should be characterized by love. It's that simple. It's not just love-driven justice. It's, it's love-driven everything. Love-driven everything. Now, I, I had to kind of, uh, you know, fiddle with this a little bit more. It's not shame-driven. It's not should-driven. It's not should-driven like, oh, we should help the poor. We should, we should help foster kids. We should volunteer at the food bank. We should give money to missions. No, no, no. There should be no shoulds. I was just in uh, Wayne County, New York, which is the second largest apple-growing region in the United States. And they're very, um, they're very uptight that I live in Washington State because Washington State has the number one apple-growing <laughs> region in the United States. Um, but Wayne County has different apples. So they've got hundreds of varieties of old, old apples, which is really cool. But I walked through the orchards because I was staying right next to an orchard. And I walked through the orchards. And the orchards are just, it's like this bumper crop this year. One branch will have like 20 huge apples on it. The apple tree does not say, I should grow apples. The apple tree grows apples because that's what apple trees do. The apple tree grows apples because there's good nutrients and the sun and the rain and the orchardist cares for the trees. And Christians, Christians naturally love. Christians naturally worship. Christians naturally seek justice. So love-driven justice should not be something that we should do. It, it's, it's something that we do, and we're driven by love. It's not, I'll get around to it later, or I'll let the government fix it. We know that's not going to happen. If, you've been, if you haven't watched the news lately, I'm, let me just tell you, that's not going to happen. The church has got to lead this. Or it's the blank's fault, just fill in the blank, why should I bother? Or I'm just one person, I can't do any, anything, and I'm just a sinner anyway. Nonsense. Miriam made a difference. Gideon. Gideon had no clue. And he simply followed Jesus. Mary, I mean, think about how scared to death Mary must have been. And she said, according to your will. Oh my goodness, like we can do incredible things. It's love-driven, hope-infused, community-oriented, spirit-led, Christ-centered, joy-filled, transformational power. That's what we have. Now, I'm not going to go there, but go and read Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. And in that prayer, the author has, says that we have power three times. We have power together with all the saints. We have power 
to know the love of Jesus. We have power, he says at the end, and you know this verse, to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that has worked within us. We are, the, we are incredibly powerful. So don't use that, that, that excuse from hell that you're powerless, because you're not. We're not powerless. Here's Camille. Look at the joy. Camille is uh, our leader in Seattle, and um, she's having transformational impact on foster kids, foster families, kids that have aged out of foster care. Um, again, too long to tell you, but before COVID, there were somewhere between 100 and 150 families showing up for a free meal once a month at the church so that they could get the support that they needed. Uh, Camille was on a call with 40 social workers. I mean, you know, this is King County. She's on, she's on a call with 40 social workers. They're not, they're not super, uh, like, cool about Christians. But here's Reverend Camille on this call talking about the impact that the church is having on foster families. And when she hangs up the phone, they're calling her. And they want her help. They want her help. So when a, when a, a child ages out of, uh, when a young person ages out of foster care, they move into their first apartment and they have nothing. But Camille has got all these uh, folks that are moving out of their homes to give all their possessions. So here's a picture of her in the upstairs in the church. And now young people can come upstairs into the church and they can say, I want those dishes. I want those sheets. I want that funky chair. And she loads it up and she gets it to them. And they're all given a box of cleaning supplies. You know, toilet brush, sanitizer, toilet paper, paper towels, and there's a card. There's a card from the church people that say, uh, we want to welcome you to your new home. And here's some supplies, and we want you to know that we're here if you need us. Your church family. Wow. Like, she's having transformational power. So, uh, now, um, this is, I saw this. This is, what, this is what's beautiful about Facebook, is you can just get cool stuff off of Facebook. But I saw this and I thought, this is spot on. Jesus didn't ask to be led into people's hearts. He told them to follow him, dedicating his life to the most vulnerable in society. Following Jesus wasn't a call to a private piety disconnected from society. Following Jesus was relational, social, and it involved justice. So, you know, like I just kind of temper that and I say, well, no, I want him in my heart. But I also want him in my head, and I also want him in my body, and I want him in my relationships, and I want him in my neighborhood, and I want him in my city. So I'm going to follow him. Now, my wife is on a school trip, um, so I can say this because she's not here. Um, we have this ongoing conversation about what words to use, and she describes herself as a believer, and I refuse to call myself a believer. Because you can believe anything and not do anything. I describe myself as a follower of Jesus. And you have to believe before you follow. So I've got them both. But too many of us simply believe, and that's all it is. I believe. Well, you know what? He asked us to follow him. So it's both, right? It's both. And none of you will tell my wife that. <laughs> because she'll be here next week. So... Um, I just want to wrap this up. Every prayer matters. Every penny counts. And I, I just, I encourage you to, you know, find out more about what we're doing. I'm happy to talk to you. Like, I am here the next three Sundays. So, and I just live 
15 minutes away. Um, so I'm happy to interact with you. I'm happy to talk to you. And I know that here at this church, you know, we are trying to figure out, well, what, what do we do in this community? And that's what the Set Free Movement does. We, we help people figure out what to do. Um, so I gave you a glimpse, some scripture. I hope you're inspired. And, uh, and I hope you'll jump in with us. But let's pray. And then uh, Pastor Kyle will come up. Lord, we thank you for this day. God, thank you for electricity in this room. The fact that I've had something to eat today and some clean drinking water and some good coffee. Thank you, God, that none of us will be taken out into to the jungle tonight and shot because of our beliefs. Thank you that we are safe and secure, overwhelmingly blessed, filled up. God, thank you for what you have done for us. And we pray, God, that you would help us to be mindful of the love that should be in us. And, and, and we want to follow you, Jesus, out into the darkness, out into the brokenness with your hope and your healing and your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.